Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. Today we have Joshua once again from New Progressive Voice. Say hi, Joshua. Hello, Rio, and thanks for having me on again. Thanks for coming on again. I wanted to have Joshua on today because while he is one of our recurring guest stars, he's also the obvious choice for this conversation because Joshua is a Christian. Uh, and it turns out I don't know very many of those, which is odd considering there is such a large percentage of the U.S. population. I guess that says something about my circle, my evil elitist globalist circle. Um, but j- yeah, so we're going to be talking about the war on Christmas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Maybe so more. I guess the, yeah, the first the first thing. Well, actually, before we get into the main topic, um, Joshua and I were were shitting uh, shooting the shit off air about uh, um, Pete Buttigieg, uh, a, a fellow Christian. Josh, but what's what's going on with Pete in the news these days? Yeah. So I mean, it it looks like Biden's wanting him to be our transportation secretary, and um, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversy around his uh, what people call lack of experience so that seems to be the big topic around him right now right and by people you mean the progressive left wing of the Democratic yeah i mean sadly i have to admit a lot of that's coming from the progressive left most of it yeah unfortunately <laughs> you know um you know that he is been only he has only been a mayor uh therefore it makes no sense that he would have any experience with roads or potholes or projects or anything of that nature. And that couldn't be superimposed into a larger, you know, um, you know, body of people. I think it's like 55,000 people. He'd be over and uh, something like a 10. Well, and also he's just, a, he's just a mayor of a little old town, not a major city. So a lot of like urban snobs don't think that his level experience is matters as much as if he had been a mayor of New York or something like that. I think it's pretty interesting, you know, how we heard very little of that uh, when it came to Donald Trump and people would excuse him. He was uh, essentially from the progressive left, many in the progressive left would argue, oh, he's just, uh, uh, you know, a symptom uh, of the problem within the system. And they would excuse him and he would go through people left and right and it wouldn't matter. I mean, they could be someone on Fox News who had no... um, government ex- experience whatsoever, but you'd hear nothing from the left on that. You know, they just go out of the way to support the notion that accelerationism through Trump and, you know, he's just a s- symptom of the system was where they focused their attention. And yeah, then, of course, Pete, who, you know, does share some progressive values, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of a really good at being a moderate, you know, where you share some of the centrist values and progressive values. And this is what progressives tend to do. You know, they sort of like, um, destroy anything that comes along. And then they, of course, wonder why they don't win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I actually kind of get the motivation because you're, you're a, um, you call yourself a new progressive. Uh, actually, why don't you break that down for a second? Like how, how do you differ from say the average person's conception of what a progressive is? Yeah. I mean, really just two points. Uh, the first one is I really, think it's important to go back to the roots of progressivism. So I, I focus a lot of attention or early on in my uh, on my channel, New Progressive Voice, I spent a lot of time going into the history of progressivism. So in rooting ourselves back to Theodore Roosevelt, who's the forefather of modern or, or uh, early progressivism in America. And then second piece of it is a, a much more logical, uh, sensible, reasonable approach of 
um, putting most of our attention into electoral politics versus what I call demand politics or rage politics, um, which is really a typecasting of views in the 1960s or the Civil War era and using that as a way of defining what progressivism means or socialism. Um, radicalism is what I would really call it. So when I think about new progressive, I'm thinking about trying to help people rethink of in modern era, the way progressivism is being defined, which I think is it's completely not the way uh, Theodore Roosevelt thought of it, uh, nor is it productive ultimately um, or gets us where we want to go for progressives, whatever our agenda ultimately is or would like to be. Yeah, and if you were more pretentious, you might call it neo-progressivism. Uh, that, that gets thrown around a lot, um, neo this and neo that. I'm a neoliberal because I believe in free markets, and I'm a neoconservative because I believe in spreading democratic values around the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and of course, people talk about neo-Marxism, et cetera. Um, I've noticed that usually neo-anything, um, basically without fail, when you break it down and look at what it's actually describing, it usually is just returning to the roots of whatever thing you're you're neoizing. Mm -hmm. Um and and then just contextualizing it into contemporary politics. That's so neo-Marxism is, you know, people like to point out that it deals with all these subjects that Marx himself didn't write about. Well, Marx died a long time ago. <laughs> and, and so it's about it's about recontextualizing a return to the fa the fundamentals of Marxism, but recontextualizing it for contemporary politics, which is a very different world than it was in the 19th century. Um, exactly. You know, sim similarly, neoliberalism is a return to classic liberalism that that happened because of people like Milton Friedman and so forth, um, and uh, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Um, you know that neoliberalism has also infiltrated the establishment of the Democratic Party, and I, I think that that's coming down to um, that's really kind of the reason why a lot of progressives who are not your style of progressive. Um, make excuses for Donald Trump and his cabinet appointments um, and then attack Biden endlessly for it. And it's because uh, the, the Trump movement is very anti-establishment. It's economic populism. Um, and and in, in a lot of ways, I think that those, that those more radical anti-establishment kind of progressives, whether they would admit it to other people or maybe even whether they might admit it to themselves mm -hmm. in a lot of ways they seem to, that they would almost prefer a donald trump presidency to a joe biden presidency or a hillary clinton presidency because 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 they share like as much as they disagree with them they they nevertheless share that absolute radical hatred and disdain and rage toward the evil neoliberal establishment yeah i think you're you're definitely um getting to the core a root of 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 the difference between uh, you know what you what you just said neoliberal neoclassical neo progressive versus those that are just using those terms, um, and that it is goes back to cynicism and trust, whether or not we are using the levers of power or whether we want to overthrow them. If you know, like in this case, you know, accelerationism through Trump is what your point is. You know, like they want to. Uh, encourage that so obviously they're going to promote that you know i like think it's a also, good thing i i also think frankly a lot of actual trump supporters a lot of the alt-right also want accelerationism through trump 
Right. They seem to be hoping that we're going to have some kind of race war or civil war or some crazy nonsense like that. So, yeah, they, they, they also share the goal of acceleration. Yeah, um, it's not only illiberal, but it's also uh, anti-democracy. You know, it, it really is, uh, you know, we've become impatient. It's terrorism. It's terrorism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, yeah, I mean, we're going to see the Trump insurgency over the next four years with Donald Trump supporters literally committing i would i would guess probably at least a dozen major acts of terrorism over the next four years because their goal is to try to destabilize the system they hate the they hate the status quo Mm -hmm. and and you know as a conservative i would like to point out that is as about as far away from conservatism as you can possibly get it's also about as far away from progressivism as you could get because a conservative wants to conserve the status quo a progressive wants to improve it and these radicals on the far left and the alt-right just want to burn everything down and destroy modern civilization as we know it exactly and it it reminds me of sort of uh what the um example that analogy i usually give is uh progressivism is the gas pedal and and conservatism is the um brake and you know the brake pedal you, and, you kind of uh, need both of those in order to be able exactly to, <laughs> to get anywhere right <laughs> with any sanity or safety right um and then you know of course the radicals uh that want to blow burn it all down are those that of course uh you know want to just blow the car up you know <laughs> and, and regressivism i guess you could say is reverse and that that metaphor kind of follows through because there are a few times when maybe things did go too far you know in in in, in order to try to you know, in, in, in the name of some form of pro- progress, you go a little too far and society says, huh, that's not working out so great. So maybe yeah. uh, brake pedal isn't sufficient. Maybe we need to reverse a little bit. But, you know, most people understand that while the reverse is useful from time to time, it's never a good idea to just drive full speed and reverse down a freeway <laughs> for an hour. Right. Yeah, like, you, you, know, <laughs> you, you want to reverse a little bit and then go forward again. Right. Right. Um, so there is an, a role for even regressivism, um, in a healthy, mm-hmm. uh, body politic, but it's, it, it's necessarily has to be very short and only at times when you're really literally hitting a wall. Yeah. I mean, for those that are new, uh, you know, to, to this Rios podcast, you know, uh, I think it's important to point out we, uh, you know, naturally we understand that. A lot of these people, they have come to this conclusion because they feel the system's not working for them. Um, but I think it's important to separate out the corruptness uh, that is human nature that invariably, you know, befalls any empire through time uh, versus, you know, the, the underpinnings of, of liberalism and, and, and uh, democracy and how valuable those are. Those are not the same. Um, corruption can get into anything it can get into the green party it can get into uh you know a third party whatever you know so it's not a a republican or democrat thing it really is just you know how much of that party is you know and also just the nature of corruption through time sort of taking over a, a given body it's not yeah, democracy and, it's not liberalism historically the people who speak the most about ferreting out corruption are usually the most corrupt people. They tend to use it as an excuse for ferreting out anybody who disagrees with them politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very it's a very strong temptation uh, for people who have a very dogmatic um, and radical way of looking at the world, whether it's you want to force through socialism or you know some kind of fascist theocracy. Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, so, so about the the subject before we move on to the main topic, 
um, to wrap up this the subject of Pete Buttigieg. Um, it also seems to me that part of the reason that progressive left doesn't that you know is is mad about his appointment is because Pete quote uh, I, I screwed Bernie Sanders. I saw somebody say he screwed Bernie Sanders by dropping out of the race and endorsing Joe Biden. These people don't seem like they, would they be complaining if he had dropped out and endorsed Bernie Sanders? I don't think so. Right? Then would he have screwed Joe Biden? I mean, this is how it works in a democracy. You have a primary. Once you're no longer a viable candidate, you drop out and you endorse the person who you think should be the nominee, right? Like, but the, the way they talk about it, it's like this this evil deep state conspiracy, right? It kind of sounds yeah. a lot like those Trumpkins to me. Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's just an excuse for um, the real argument that they're, they're trying to posit, which is um, that... Uh, Pete Buttigieg is taking up progressive space because he's a fall progressive. He's not. He's not truly a progressive. Uh, you know, stealing votes away from Bernie. Are you uh, saying he's a dino? Right. He's basically a dino. He's just. He's a sheep in you know was you know, rather sorry a wolf in sheep's clothing. I, I just can't. I mean, like the more the, the longer we talk about this, the more it just sounds exactly like dealing with the alt right. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I'm a rhino. I'm a Republican in name only for standing mm-hmm. up for what Republicanism meant, you know, up until 2015, right? right. I'm not on board with the, the fascist takeover of the party, therefore I'm a rhino. And if somebody isn't on board with the commie takeover of the Democratic Party, they're a dino. I, I think Pete Buttigieg is great. You know, I don't agree with him about everything. He's a, he's significantly to my left on a number of issues, but he seems like a, a decent person. Um you know, uh, I I have absolutely no problem with him being in the White House. I think he'll be he'll be great. Yeah, yeah, that's um, I think that pretty clearly outlines why I uh, you know really wanted to try to um, bring back the way that I think progressivism was originally intended by Theodore Roosevelt. You know, like it goes back further than Theodore Theodore, of course, but just speaking within the American political landscape context. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the war on Christmas. Um, Okay. So I asked Joshua to do this one because he's a Christian uh, and it's going to be an interesting contrast between the two of us because Joshua is a a non-denominational Christian and uh, politically progressive. I'm, conservative and i'm an agnostic atheist so it'll be kind of interesting to get our our hybrid take on this subject yep so i appreciate you giving me an opportunity to spread christianity (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i i actually believe it or not i actually consider myself culturally christian um I, Mm. i i went to private schools as a kid um, and while I do admittedly resent being indoctrinated, uh, borderline brainwashed, um, by those schools into uh, Christian dogma, I actually have nothing but warmth and love in my heart when I think about, you know, the, 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 the big, uh, Christmas concert that we would put on as a school every year and all the kids would wear their tuxedos and we would sing the classic Christmas carols and the adults would join in. Um, and you know, a, a, a respected doctor in the community would direct the, the choir. Um, and we'd fill the stage with, with Christmas trees and we'd do plays. And I, I was a, a talented actor as a kid. So I would, you know, I would almost always be in the skit. Um, it was so fun. And, and, and I love the, my, my mom, um, 
well, she was nominally Christian. She believed in God. Uh, my dad was actually an atheist, um, but he never like pushed it on me. I remember having one conversation in the hot tub with him where, where we were talking about like science and biology or something. And I told him about how, you know, the world is only 6,000 years old and humans were created in their current form. And he was just like, they're teaching you what? <laughs> like we're paying a lot of money to send you to that school. What the heck? You know what I mean? Um, that, that really stood out to me because I was like, Oh no, no dad. That's what they say at school. And he's like, oh, I was like that's not true. <laughs> yeah, but, but so. you know, but, you know, I mean, my, my household was Christian in the sense that, um, um, you know, we had Christmas trees. My mom um, put, I remember one year, she was. A, she, we had this family tradition where we'd go up on the mountain and we'd cut down the biggest tree that we could manage to fit on the truck. <laughs> mm. um, we'd drink hot cocoa and the kids and the adults would all go and multiple friends of the family would go and we'd all get our own Christmas trees and it would be super fun. So one year she got a tree that was 25 feet tall. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I thought maybe as a kid, you know, cause kids remember things being bigger than they are. I thought maybe that was, I was exaggerating. And so I asked my mom about it recently and she was like, actually, I asked my mom, I was like, I think that tree was like 15, 20 feet tall. And my mom said, no, it was 25 feet tall. And I was like, Oh, here, I thought I remembered it wrong. I thought it was remembering it as bigger than it was. And she said, no, they had to like hire professionals to skywire it to the ceiling. We wow. had a big living room with That's a high, insane. like a two story living room with a vaulted ceiling. And she had, they had to like skywire it perfect. Mm-hmm. Like you would do for a, for like a mall or something, you know? Um, and it wasn't about consumerism for us, right? I mean, like, I, I, I'm sure that all sounds very fancy to some people. My childhood felt normal to me at the time. And I know now that, you know, a private school and, and all of that, that it was actually pretty, pretty, I was it's privileged is putting it mildly. Um, I'm aware of that. But it wasn't actually about consumerism. It was about we have like this, this real love for Christmas traditions and sitting around and drinking eggnog and um, singing Christmas songs by the fire. Uh, it, it, it really warms my heart to think about that. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, even like China, something like um, 17% of the population there celebrate Christmas, uh, you know, and um, Philippines, it's something like 50, 60, 70%. But of course, they're, there's, they're mainly Christian, many of them there. But if you even think about nations that are not Christian, uh, by population, uh, many of them celebrate Christmas. It's a it's a global um, holiday, really, in many ways, and it's only yeah. growing in popularity. So, how how what were what were your your Christian? Because you grew up Christian, you still are Christian. So, why don't you talk a little bit about your 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 Christmas as a childhood and what it means to you and and so forth? Yeah, I mean, my experience was is was very um, off and on. Um, some of our, um, some of my upbringing was, um, we were on food stamps, food stamps, things of that nature, and we wouldn't be able to afford a Christmas tree or, or a, um, even gifts for that matter. Uh, so, but during the times that we did, it was very modest. We didn't have a 25 foot tree. <laughs> um, it might've been like five or six feet tall, but yeah, I mean, um, oh, that's a good size though. That's, I that's, think, more, that's more like normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most of uh, Christmas to me represented, um, you know, like to me, I remember it being just the hearth, the warmth, um, the the relatives getting together, apple pie, um, you know, Christmas turkey. Um, 
exchanging gifts, just that whole uh, spirit of Christmas, you know, not necessarily it necessarily always being about, uh, you know, the crucifixion and things like that. I mean, it was more just the sentiment of it that was something that stayed with me, you know, were your even parents, as a Christian. Uh, were, were your parents religious? Yes, um, very religious, actually. Um, they were hyper-religious. I would say, like, there was a point they were Jehovah Witness and um, okay. early on. And my grandfather uh, was a, a deacon of a church, and he was going through seminary to be a pastor. He didn't ultimately complete it, but he sometimes would give, um, you know, like um, sermon in his church. He was Baptist, Southern Baptist. Uh, my grandmother, I mean, she was hyper-religious. I mean, it was Sunday, it was Wednesday, you name it. Um, and my mother, who, you know, um, I'm half Asian, by the way, and... Um, she also was, was very, is very religious even to this day. You know, I mean, everything, every time I speak to her on the phone is like, you know, you're doing your prayers, right? <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, I just, if we lose a family member, you know, oh, we're going to see them in the afterlife, you know, we're going to see them in heaven, you know, things like that. That's the way she speaks. Um, everything is through the lens of that doctrine, you know, that way of understanding the world through Christianity, through Christ mainly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, my, my private school was uh, Seventh Day Adventist, by the way. So equally, as some people call call the um, religion Jews for Jesus because <laughs> oh, they're wow. so orthodox about the Old Testament. They they still celebrate um, <laughs> Sabbath, uh, uh, and yeah, exactly. And they and they they're vegetarian. Um, the that that particular um, Protestant. Um, religion was was actually started by Ellen White, who's a, who's a woman, which is pretty interesting. That their 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 um, prophet prophetess uh, was female, so that, that's kind of interesting. They're very into being healthy and so forth. But yeah, it, it, like they they take the Old Testament much more seriously and literally than um, most modern uh, Protestant denominations. Yep. Yeah, I mean um, that was much of my upbringing. Often, you know, like on Sundays or around the holidays, we would be sort of forced to watch, you know, Moses or um, Abraham movies, things of that nature, you know? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely did that too. Yeah, not, not at home so much as at school, because as I said, my mom was uh, nominally Christian and my dad was an atheist, but it still felt like a Christian culture at home. Um, almost all of my childhood friends were um, Christian. All right, so uh, the war on Christmas What's your what's your take on that, Josh? What do you understand that narrative to be? How true or untrue do you think it is, and why or why not? Yeah, I think that um, really what we're having is, um, you know, just different pieces of America that are concerned. What do, what what do we mean exactly when we think about being an American? Right? That's uh, are we multicultural? Are we a Christian nation? Uh, are we nationalistic? So forth and so on. So for many people, that means all the things I just mentioned, you know, being Christian, uh, mainly being Eurocentric, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, you know, nationalistic, uh, exceptionalistic. And anything that um, threatens that perceived notion, in this case, which, which it all roots back to us being a Christian nation, really, um, that becomes, from their point of view, 
a concerted effort. Um, you know, there's within the Christian theology, this understanding of good and evil, you know, and there's a conspiratory nature to that, right? Where the devil and his dominions go out of the way to um, undermine the message of God and the uh, the people that maybe they believe were appointed by God to lead the nation. In this case, the appointed nation being the United States. That's what you're having. When we think about the war on Christmas, Specifically, we're thinking of uh, Christmas being the uh, penultimate, right, understanding of celebrating um, the Savior, uh, the Christ. Uh, And so anything that smacks of, um, you know, not the lingo, if you will, the norms of what that means uh, to be a Christian nation, often can be perceived as a threat. So ultimately, I do think that if you think of it that way, then maybe there's some, um, in those people's minds, some justification. Uh, because I do feel like, to some extent, you know, you're finding less people going to church uh, for many different reasons. Um, people are becoming, this nation is becoming more diverse. Um, we are less likely to consider America to be necessarily exceptionalistic, right, uh, in, many, in many cases, which I personally believe that we are in many ways still, but... I do think that, by and large, you know, a lot of people are beginning to move away from that that understanding. So, in that sense, if you think of it through that lens, uh, and that your that is your understanding of what it means to be Christian in in the United States, then maybe you can make a case for that. Uh, but I'd like to argue differently, and hopefully, we can have that discussion. Yeah, um, I, I like that intro to the subject. Um, you know, I mean, one, I just, you know, another difference between the, the our two experiences is you went to public um, schools and I went to private schools. So I've already spoken a bit about what my private Christian school experience was like in terms of how it taught or didn't teach religion and related subjects. What was your public school experience like? Did what, first of all, how long ago was it when you were in, say, like public elementary and high school? And also, did you feel like, your ability to express yourself as a Christian was hindered in any way, um, and why or why not? It's been some time, but um, public school, I think, mainly seems to uh, be less about teaching religion and more like the core curriculum, whatever the requirements are. That that's, was my experience. And Christmas was more um, looked at as traditional in the sense that, you know, we would have a fall festival, we'd have a Christmas tree in the, in the school, we would have, uh, you know, gift giving. Um, obviously, we would have the holidays off as a way to sort of, you know, national holiday. So as a way to sort of honor that. So that was really the most that, that I got uh, in terms of... Uh, what it meant to um, celebrate Christmas within a public school. Now, I don't know if that reflects on other people's experience, but uh, I could ima- I would imagine that typically, you know, being a private school, what was your church, was your school uh, related? I think you had said that it's related to an actual denomination. Is that correct? Yeah, it was Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that was really the extent. I didn't feel pressured, um, to, right, but um, they didn't call it Christmas. They called it Fall Festival. No, I mean, well, no, I mean, definitely, you know, it was just based on the person, you know, like some people would 
say Christmas and others, people would say happy holiday, for example. Uh, there was no pressure one way or the other, you know. Um, what about like from teachers and so forth? Did the teachers, were they pressured to say, to not say Christmas? Not at all. I mean, um, I mean, surprisingly, I mean, I, I grew up in a, a rural town and um, no one seemed to be bothered, you know, like, but I think there's also, um, there might be also a, a side of that where everybody was Christian and so there was not a perceived threat. Um, if you were not Christian, then, you know, because my town was small, you know, it was like 200 people uh, in the terrible state of Kentucky. And um, <laughs> sorry about that. I, I love Kentucky. I'm just playing. I'm joking here. Um, mainly Mitch McConnell's. What well, I was if you're, you're a Kentuckian, I think you're allowed to say that then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love Kentucky for many reasons, but um, in terms of like the politics there, I, I'm not really in alignment with who they keep putting into office. But I think that when you have um, that small of a town and everybody's Christian, then uh, that conversation doesn't even really get brought up even because people feel very secure, right? Um and no, really, no one really challenges that. No one says, oh, happy holiday. Everybody says Merry Christmas, really, just because that's what the custom is, you know, in, in such a small town. And the outside world sort of seems to be sort of shielded from, um, you know, that town seems to be shielded, small towns seem to be shielded from the outside world, outside of through the internet or something like that. So yeah, I, you've got to, you've got to like Kentucky for bourbon, if nothing else, it seems to be, <laughs> um, Oh, right. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, because I could easily see how, for example, you know, like, let's say you are a socially conservative person, um, you're a Christian, your kid goes to a public school in a small town in Kentucky, say, and at your actual kid's school in the way that impacts your actual life, there is no real war on Christmas because everybody around you is Christian, Um and so even though technically as a public school, if somebody is like, let's say if there were a Muslim student at the school and the, and the, the Muslim student convinced some think tank to bring a lawsuit on their behalf against the school, all of a sudden that small town is, um, you know, in the, in the national news and whatnot. But like the vast majority of small towns are going to be more like how your experience was. Um, and I think still even today probably would be more like that, where technically if a lawsuit were to be brought, the school could get in trouble for not being politically correct enough on the subject, but um, nobody would ever bring said lawsuit. So it's not an issue. However, you know, here you are, your kid's going to school, your kid isn't having those problems in any way whatsoever but you're watching Fox news and you hear about, you know, like the one or two lawsuits that actually do get brought out of, you know, 300 plus million people in this country. And you start to think that, Oh my God, there's this huge um, war on Christmas that's happening on like a national level. Um, and so I think, I think part of it is just a matter of the, the, the problem of if it bleeds, it leads. Um, and this isn't just related to the war on Christmas, but it, media coverage in general so nobody nobody ever runs a story that's like here here's a story about a typical small american town where there is no war on christmas it's like no we're going to highlight this one place where there's this exactly. lawsuit right. that's being brought by these evil atheists or these evil muslims or these evil jews um and so it actually can create a false 
it's not even necessarily that the narrative is false, like it is happening, but it's only happening in like one or two places. And meanwhile, the rest of America, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of America, it's more like what your public school experience was. So I, I think that and, that that might actually be one useful way to talk to somebody who's concerned about the war on Christmas is to say like, yeah, you know, it's 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 happening here and there, and the media, of course, is going to cover where it's happening. But like, what's the actual experience in your school? Like, do you see it happening in your life? Right. Yeah. And I would imagine most of that is happening where you have urban centers encroaching uh, in, you know, like into the rural area, like suburban meet, you know, like the city meets the, the rural area and where some of those towns who have never had those experiences of outside, um, you know, cultures or religions or whatnot. And that, you know, becomes a shock to the system, if you will. <laughs> yeah, That's and where, actually, the truth—the truth, tr- truth be told—you know, like when those lawsuits are brought, um, the person who brings the suit usually wins because we do have the First Amendment, and the Supreme Court has repu- has ruled repeatedly. Um, and I wouldn't expect this to change now that there's a conservative majority in the court, because conservatives are literalists about the Constitution, and the Constitution very literally says that the state is not supposed to uh, respect an establishment of religion or infringe upon the free exercise thereof. So I think the important thing to point out about um, about these these cases about you know courts, like can courts have the Ten Commandments and can a public school put on a, um, a an explicitly religious play, et cetera, um, for, for Christmas? You know, the, the, the courts have been very clear about that. The answer is no. Um, and I, I think that is the proper interpretation of the Constitution. But, you know, one thing you can tell people, and I understand some people aren't going to like this, but I, thought, I think it's particularly hypocritical coming from a supposed conservative, right? So it's like a conservative presumably also believes in the constitution and presumably also believes that this you should have a small government and the government shouldn't be you know taxing people through the the wazoo in order to take over education and healthcare and all of these things right and nevertheless here are these these trumpkin voters um are worried about the war on christmas and they're sending their kids to public school right well, if you really believe in small government, then why not just take the responsibility of paying for your kid's education? I would just point out that like part of the, you know, there are upsides and downsides to choosing a public school. And if you want your kid to get a religious education, one of the downsides is legally, they're not going to be able to get that at a public school, right? And so it seems a little bit hypocritical um, to expect that a the government is not only is the government going to provide your kid with a free education, but it's also going to provide your kid with the free education that you want them to have instead of you know the one that the government can legally provide them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I agree that um, the whole idea is, you know, we we pay taxes uh, and have public schools so that people can. Um, have a um, a real life experience, right? Um, a public experience, um, and you know, a variety of people. Uh, for example, if you are in, say, Philadelphia, where there might be two to three percent population of Muslim, how might the parents of those children feel if Christian doctrine is being taught to their children, um, or Buddhist, or um, even atheist? You know. Um, if you maybe are Caucasian and you have uh, children that you're sending to school and they're being taught Buddhism, 
you know, or Christianity, you know, and you're agnostic or atheist. You know what I mean? That's the that's the problem when you are funding through taxes these schools. You can't expect exactly as you said, Rio. You can't expect, um, you know, a religion to be taught a specific religion because then what religion is it going to be? You know, is it going to be Christianity? And then that. Yeah. One, one alternative that the uh, American philosopher Daniel Dennett, who te- teaches at Tufts University, has proposed is that um, we simply teach uh, comparative religion and history of religion yeah. in an objective way at, um, and in public elementary and high schools. Obviously, it would be much more of an, uh, you know, a 101 level, not uh, as uh, sophisticated as what students currently experience in college. Although that said, <laughs> because they don't get any of that education in public schools until college, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of comparative religion that people are getting in college is extremely elementary because uh, they are starting in, in absolute ignorance of the subject. Um, so I actually like that proposal of Dennett's. I think that, you know, rather than saying, because there are, there are basically two ways of holding upholding the Supreme Court's um, ruling about the fact that public schools have to be neutral on the matters of religion. One is stay away from religion entirely, and another one would be to just teach objectively about comparative religion and the history of religion. Um, but I almost wonder if that would actually bother uh, the people complaining about the war on Christmas even more. Because, of course, in pre- and this, this demonstrates their hypocrisy right here, because if, if what they really wanted was just that, you know, they should be able to talk about Christianity, then they should be happy with that. But in fact, it seems like really what many of them want is that they want Christianity and only Christianity to be taught in the school. And they want it to be taught as a fact rather than as, you know, one out of many religious traditions in the world. Yeah, and I find it ironic because... Um... That was the whole struggle we had early on in England and Europe that, uh, you know, it's a very slippery slope because let's presume for a moment, hypothetically, uh, we do achieve that sort of uh, place that you're talking about where every, you know, it's, everybody is required to, to learn Christianity. But then the question becomes, well, what sect? You know, is it Catholicism? Is it Protestantism? And what sect of denomination of Protestantism? Oh, wait, the answer is, is always it, my sect, right? It's my absolutely. sect. Whatever my sect that, is, that's the one everybody should be taught. Yeah, and that's what led to much of the tribal tribal mindset in in Europe and its inability to to work, and it would often lead to uh, war and and um, problems, you know. So um, ultimately, it just leads to more dogmatism, and even led to beheadings and burning of witches. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, a need to sort of up the ante once you start to sort of go down that slippery slope because you have this need to prove through the government um, and the power structure that you are the better Christian than that sect over there. Uh, and so it's just naturally going to sort of like escalate, you know? Um, so I think from a psychological, you know, like in sociological standpoint, um, it doesn't invite a true discussion of, um, you know, that invites ultimately um, a, an inviting atmosphere where everybody is, feels welcome rather than coerced uh, or uh, obligated to fit into one size fits all, right? So I yeah. think that really is contrary to even the message of, of Christ himself, really, ultimately, where he really wanted to make the uh, relationship to God a very personal 
personal walk, you know, versus like through the state. And I think that central to that is his understanding of what we're discussing here and the problems that come with trying to, um, you know, in, you know, in state or put or um, engraven a certain way of Christianity or any religion into the state. Yeah, and um, I, it's important to point out that in in some other democracies that don't have the um, the kind of separation of church and state that we have, um, such as the United Kingdom, they actually do have uh, publicly funded um, religious schools. They're called faith schools, um, and then that's caused an interesting debate because people choose to send their kid to this faith school or that faith school. And suddenly the, the government is responsible for funding all of these different varieties of schools. And how do you decide which religions deserve it, which ones don't and which kind of denomination is this faith school or that faith school going to be? I mean, how, how, how do people hardcore um, Orthodox Christians believe, how do they feel about the idea of their tax dollars going to a Muslim faith school that is indoctrinating children in Islam? You know, yeah, and, um, this is people as always people like to pretend like these are are simple black and white easy mm-hmm. issues but this is there you know there there's no obviously correct best way to resolve these kinds of tensions um apart from as i said if you really if you really care that much about the the, the kind of education your kid gets maybe take some personal responsibility for paying for that education then yeah i, I don't have anything to add i think you said it pretty well i mean the that's the great thing about America and the way it currently is, you know, you have a private and a public aspect um, that can allow you to maneuver, you know, where you, you feel, feel you want to or need to go. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, it should be, I should point out, like, I understand, I don't mean to sound callous. I understand that not everybody can afford to send their kid to a private school. That's so I'm not, this isn't about like shaming poor people. But what I am saying is, if you are saying, I'm a conservative, and I believe that, you know, children should be taught a proper Christian education, right, then maybe you should also be a conservative on the issue of education and not expect people's taxpayers to provide your kid with a free education. So I mean, I'm merely pointing out the, the hypocrisy of that. Right. Um, yeah, but the, and the, it the, does, the it problem. does, but you know, but mm-hmm. like, Maybe these people aren't the you know actual real right wing conservatives. Maybe they're more like the uh, Christian socialists that were very popular in in Germany, for example. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a set of problems that comes with that. Even like if you were to say that uh, you know public schools can teach this particular whatever religion, um, then it might turn out many parents don't like that because they may feel like the teacher's not doing a proper teaching of that particular doctrine, whatever they happen to adhere to, you know, there's just no way that two people can have the exact same interpretation of the Bible. I mean, the Bible is a very complex book. Um, so you really are inviting a whole host of problems when you're well, expecting and it's important. the teachers yeah, to be I agree. responsible and it's, a, it's important to point out that there are a variety of ways, policy ways that we can resolve some of these tensions. And some, you know, mm-hmm. one of them is uh, the education dividend that I've proposed. And I don't want to get into the detail of that policy in this particular episode. So I've talked about it in the fast, past. If somebody wants to read an explanation of it, right. go to um, movingforwardpod.com and then go to policy. Um, and you'll see there's um an outline for the education dividend there um, with as part, as part of a uh, uh, basically a larger vision for reforming the tax code. Um, 
I took Yang's concept of the freedom dividend and I applied it to healthcare in the form of the education dividend or, and the healthcare dividend and, and to education in the form of the education dividend. But these, there are policy ways of getting around this, this culture war, right? Because if you force everybody into a one-size-fits-all publicly funded system, it's going to result in some of these culture wars. And I think that there are, there are ways of, of making it possible for people um, who, who maybe don't have rich um, parents to still have options about what kinds of schools they want to go to and that still mm-hmm. respect the Constitution. So yeah, rather than get into the, the details out. of yeah, that I'm, here. I'm really, um, yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out myself. I mean, it sounds very, very intriguing. Um, but even, you know, you have parents that don't want the, 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 uh, teachers teaching the Bible, they, they personally want to take up on that themselves. And so public schools allow that, right. Where your, uh, teachers aren't teaching the, the Bible and the parents want to have that domain. Right. So, but you're right. So public schools allow that, uh, it allows comparative religion. Like you're, you're, you're talking about. Uh, and then the private schools allow. Well, it technically is allowed, but it's not actually done in a lot of places. And part of that is also just due to many public schools just um, are only teaching the bare minimum because they don't mm-hmm. have the resources um, to, right. to, you know. I mean, um, it, moving on, there's, of course, another area. One, one place where people talk about the war on Christmas is um, is with schools, and we've, we've covered that pretty efficiently, I think. Another area is 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 just with commercial things, right? So like they see that the mall, the local mall, um, although that's kind of becoming a little outdated since malls are closing, but you know they see the local square or mall or whatever says Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, and it has Santa Claus, but it doesn't have a manger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in that case, people get mad. But once again, there is some real hypocrisy there because. If you're a Christian, then presumably you believe in freedom of speech. I'm sorry, if you're a Christian. If you're a conservative um, Christian, then presumably you believe in freedom of speech, and you think that a corporation like a mall um, or a corporation like Starbucks has every right to decide how they want to express themselves in the holidays. And if they have find that it actually serves their interests as a business better to have a more universally um, – um, uh, tolerable um, expression of the holidays. If they're worried about offending, you know, some significant percentage of their um, clientele, and then with something like Starbucks, it's a fairly affluent clientele. So you're dealing with highly educated people. Um, you're dealing with with lots of people who might be Jewish or atheists or whatever. And so they choose to have a kind of generic Happy Holidays message instead of a Merry Christmas message. You know, if that bothers you, then you don't have to get your coffee from Starbucks. You could go someplace else. But the idea that there's a war on Christmas because of that, maybe one way of of of, um, of demonstrating that that's a little absurd is just to point out that companies like that have every right um, under the Constitution to express themselves how they want, and you don't have to buy your coffee there if you don't like it. Yeah, I think one of the core um, arguments behind. The, ha- the happy holidays versus, uh, you know, Merry Christmas is that um, what does the uh, December 25th represent, right? And so some Christians may feel it's disrespectful to say happy holidays to include, you know, Muslims or Jewish or whatever, you know, into that understanding of what Christmas means, right? So when we say Merry Christmas, we are essentially telling you that 
it has a certain meaning behind it. And that's why it's significant. It's like saying, you know, happy Martin Luther King Day. So it's very specific. That, I think, is more the argument that oftentimes those that are proponents of, uh, you know, like this idea of war on Christmas um, are really, you know, sort of pushing out there uh, as a concern. Um, but I would argue that if you look historically at um, Christmas itself, uh, the, the I, you know, there's question whether or not Jesus was even born on December the 25th. Uh, there are questions as to, uh, you know, why do we, you know, put up a Christmas tree? Why do we decorate it with lights? You know, uh, why do we do all these things? And yeah, I actually, I actually, really... I actually want to get into that mm-hmm. a little bit in the history of, of, of Christianity and so forth in a minute. Um, so yeah. I, but I'm glad you brought that up. But before before we get into the details of it, um, I, I think it's important to kind of wrap up this uh, this introduction to the subject first of the war on Christmas. And I, you know, the way I look at it is, it is a culture war, and as a culture war, it does exist legally the government is supposed to be neutral on it. The government isn't supposed to take a position one way or the other. So I think we've covered all that pretty well. But the important thing to point out is that politics isn't, really ultimately it isn't just about what's true or false. I see a lot of people on the left or even in the center make the mistake of just saying like, you're wrong. You know, the facts are on my side. Factually, I'm correct about this. That's not particularly persuasive to a lot of people though because um, politics is, like it or not, isn't isn't about what's what's factual if if you want to actually win at politics you've got to pay attention to rhetoric and optics politics is optics is a phrase that i use and like it or not we do live in a country which even though it is technically and uh, legally secular um a lot of people their experience of the american culture for generations has been that it is a largely Christian culture or even an exclusively Christian culture. And so I think that it is important to point out the distinction that on the legal level, there is no war on Christmas, but on the cultural level, you know, there kind of is there in the sense that there is a, there is a culture war. There's a disagreement about how, how much, how dominant do we want Christianity to be in our everyday lives? And, um, and how, 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 how far should we go in order to um, respect you know, people like myself who are atheists or people who have other religious beliefs. Um, so it might actually help to de-radicalize some of these people. Believe it or not, just telling people they're entirely wrong and making them feel gaslit is actually not an effective rhetorical strategy. You might get a lot further by, by, by saying, let's make a distinction between legal, where there really is no war on Christmas, and we just explained how that's the case. But you know, I I, understand, I kind of understand where you're coming from because you know, on on a cultural level, there really is a kind of quote metaphorical war going on, and you know, some people are extremists about that, and I'm not one of them. Or maybe you are. If you are, then you know, be prepared to argue that position. But you can de-radicalize somebody by just kind of acknowledging them, listening to them, saying you kind of understand where they're coming from, and make the and make that distinction between the legal and the cultural. And on the cultural, you know. There's a position to be taken on that. You can take a position and fight that culture war, but uh, but but you know that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's some kind of statewide you know um, war on Christmas. Yeah. Um, so again, I think it is important to be very clear about what we mean when we think about the war on Christmas. And I think for many some Christians, it is exactly what I just said, where it's about. Um, what does that mean when we say happy Christmas, right? 
or happy, you know, like, uh, or Merry Christmas rather. Um, and are we diluting it when we, we use happy holiday instead? And then to think about why is that such, uh, why does that trigger, uh, you know, Christians, you know, some Christians, why is it, why does it trigger them so much? You know, like, uh, again, going back to like historically, are, you know, what does Christmas mean? Is it so important to Christianity even itself? And how long have we been actually celebrating Christian, you know, like Christmas? And in, in what in what way have we celebrated Christmas? Because I mean, even like your statement earlier about, you know, like uh, was America really founded as a Christian nation? I mean, that's a, another discussion in in and of itself. I mean, many of the founding fathers were deist; they weren't necessarily Christian, right? Um, yeah, so, absolutely. So let, let's yeah, let's go ahead and move on to that. Let's 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 talk about some of the background a little before before we get into the the history part of it per se. Let's just talk a little a little theory um, for context. Uh, when people teach comparative religion courses, they often start from the the broad values question of what the purpose of religion is, and the one one common understanding is that religion serves two, two purposes, an individual purpose and a collective purpose. And this individual purpose is to give a sense of, of meaning and um, fulfillment to your own life to help you feel like you have an understanding of where your place in the universe is. Um, and it's a very personal thing. And then there's a collective purpose, which is about bringing people together, having a sense of community, a sense of common, shared um, uh, cultural and a shared spiritual meaning and to improve society, to uh, make society work smoothly through uh, mm-hmm. a, a shared understanding of the world. Um, yeah. would, would, you, would you agree with that, Josh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the glue, the adhesive, you know, um, shared sort of um, understanding of cultural norms and expectations as well as where we derive meaning and value. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, like, again, as an agnostic atheist, I, I, I think that that's a good thing. I think that society does need to have, I don't think it necessarily has to be a supernatural um, uh, expression of this, but I do think that, like, shared narratives and a shared sense of purpose and meaning, as well as an individual sense of fulfillment and, and understanding um, your place in the universe, I think those things are very important. Um, and, and the community that builds up around it is important. And uh, while, like, uh, you know, respecting differences and, and so forth is, is, is also valuable, um, we want to make sure we don't go too far in either extreme. If you go too far toward the theocratic extreme, then you're not tolerating anybody who deviates from the dominant um, narrative. But if you go too far toward the other extreme, then, um, you know, society kind of comes apart at the seams and there's nothing to really kind of hold it together anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they don't need to, like, the understanding of what it means to be in America has its own set of uh, values and meanings, right? Like its own set of norms and um, sense of belonging, whatever that is, democracy, liberalism, etc. That doesn't necessarily have to, in some way, um, be mutually, ex- you know, exclusive to each other. Like, they, they can be mutually inclusive to each other, Right where you can have various different religions within a nation and within those pockets or those subcultures, if you will, they have their own sense of what it means to belong, right? Uh, but in the greater scope of what holds everybody together is what it, what does it mean to be an American? It doesn't necessarily mean have to mean being Christian, right? 
you can yeah no i think actually that's great that's great because i I feel like part of what we're trying to accomplish with this conversation is to figure out the ways to actually um de-radicalize people through 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 conversation right and one way of doing that so far that we found is to make a distinction between the, the legal and the cultural um and yeah i think this is important too you can make a distinction between the fact that People can like a local community or a local church um, can can find uh, local collective meaning to one another through very specific shared religious beliefs, um, and maybe the glue that brings the larger society together can't be a single religion because it's just first of all that goes against um, the the Constitution of the United States, but also secondly, um, you know we just as a matter of fact do live in a diverse society and it's only getting more diverse, not less diverse. So a shared um, appreciation for American values, including freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Um, that's the glue that needs to hold us together is our, our belief that uh, as Americans, we need to respect one another, um, respect our differences, but also, uh, we do have common values that we share. And that includes the values that are enshrined in our constitution. And it also allows a space that, um, being Christian is not obligatory, or coerced. Rather, it's something that comes from the heart and you are led to it, uh, which is, to me, the essence of what Christ talked about is the way to God. You know, uh, you're called to it. You're not required toward it or, or obliged toward it. Um, or coerced. Yeah, arguably, if you're being forced to do it, then you haven't really been saved, have you, from a Christian perspective? Absolutely right. Yeah. So, so I do think um, that a secular society allows that, uh, you know, it, it, allow, it gives permission, really, liberty to um, I like be called. That. I like that take, yeah. You know, whatever, whatever your religious belief is, if you're in a society that allows you to make up your own mind about it, um, that could only really be a good thing from the Right, politics. right. It brings out the authenticity of, of, of whatever um, track you're taking, you know. Yeah, it's also actually a number of people have pointed out that uh, there's this interesting phenomenon where countries like uh, the UK, for example, which actually has an official uh, state religion in the Church of England, right? Um, Religious practice in general um, has dwindled and atheism is actually far more common, not just secularism, but atheism is far more common in the UK than it is here. Uh, People are just generally less religious. The United States is a bit of an outlier in the first world. Most for, most developed liberal democracies are not as religious as ours are, even though it is true, as you pointed out, Josh, that even here um, um, religion is in decline. It's still nevertheless just flourishing relative to other developed liberal democracies. And I, um, a bit counterintuitively, that could actually be because we don't have a state religion. The fact that we have instead freedom of religion has allowed um, religion, uh, a kind of renaissance of, 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 of religious beliefs in the United States. Absolutely. I, I definitely can give a check on that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and now, of course, there's, there's the, the big categories we've been touching on a bit, which is, you know, there's polytheism, which prior to, um, Judaism uh, was uh, the, the dominant um, expression of religion. And it kind of, it kind of came, I mean, it's important to point out, I think, that religion predates Christianity, right? That's just mm-hmm. a matter of fact. Um, so, but like polytheism, probably, this is, there's a bit, this is a bit of speculation on the part of uh, scholars of religion that probably started with 
just believing, um, worshiping nature itself, right? So worshiping the star and the moons and trees and things like that. And then those developed into stories about about um, anthropomorphic gods um, and spirits and so forth that represented the, the, the body of the sun and the moon and so forth. Um, and then the very, very first monotheistic religion um, that I know of is um, was the worship of the Aten in Egypt. Um, and uh, that was uh, Akhenaten wanted to increase his power um, as an Egyptian pharaoh um, and did so by telling all of the priests that they no longer had power, that he had all the power because he was the only begotten son of, of Aten, hence Akhenaten, and, 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 and really started the first monotheistic religion. And then, of course, the Jews um, were uh, slaves or indentured servants in, in Egypt, depending on how you read that history, uh, the mm-hmm. modern the Hebrew, concept. Yeah. The, right, right. Um, like, right, Hebrew. Um, and then they, they formed Judaism um, and uh, it's difficult to tell which one predated it, but it looks like maybe, um, at least in some level, um, Judaism was inspired by that concept of of a single god that may have started with uh, Aten. Um, and and then, of course, Judaism, um, and we, moving on, uh, became uh, the the one of the foundations of Christianity. And then, of course, from my side, there's you know atheism and agnosticism, and so. Atheism is, you know, polytheism is you believe in multiple gods. Monotheism is you believe in one god. Atheism is you don't believe in gods, um, which of course is, it's important to point out, is not the same thing as saying that you're, you're sure that God doesn't exist, just that you don't believe in a god. Um, and then there's the Gnostic versus agnostic distinction, which is separate. And a Gnostic is someone who claims to know, um, and agnostic is someone who says, I don't know. So that's why I say I'm an agnostic atheist, which is to say I don't believe in God, but I don't claim to know that there is no God. Most theists are, in fact, agnostic theists in the sense that they will say it's a matter of faith. They don't know for sure that God exists, but they choose to believe it, um, as, as opposed to agnostic theist, which is somebody who claims that they have absolute like, knowledge and proof of the existence of God. Right. Uh, an experiential knowing uh, within they, they, they feel or... That they there is a God, yeah, absolutely, um, and so you can see like most of human culture, most of human history rather, has been very um, diverse in in the way we understand God, right? And rather there is even a God. I mean, even like early on, that became a problem in the uh, Roman Empire, where uh, there was all these sects, and there were the pa- pagan sects, and there were Christian sects, and there were Jews, and it led to a lot of fracturing, even within the Roman Empire, and that eventually led to the uh, First Council of Neosai around, uh, I think it was 325 AD, where the um, the lead bishops got together with Constantine to um, try to integrate a lot of the different um, customs and habits and, and thoughts um, or understandings of uh, our place in the universe in, in relationship to God, so forth and so so on. And that led to the eventual, what we know to be the first real, um, I guess, idea of what the con- canonical texts are, you know, um, and eventually the first attaining of the consensus of, of church, of assembly representing Christendom, right? Um, and that was what, you know, like led to um, integrating some of the practices that include even some pagan uh, 
practices of um, common themes that they 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 um, understood about whatever gods they worshipped. You know, uh, one one example being Saturnia, which is around the time of Christmas, and um, that's when the, you had the longest night and the shortest day, and that was to be the rebirth would be on the 25th. Uh, that's when they would worship the sun god, the pagans, that that is. And Christians also, uh, they may, there's some argument about when Christ was actually born. Some believe he was born under the astrology sign um, Pisces. Others believe he was born under the astrology sign Virgo. Um, but some speculate that uh, Constantine had ordained that it was actually the 25th as a way to bring the the empire together and um you know sort of have a common celebration of god um uh, while not ruffling the feathers of other ways of understanding god so in a way you could kind of think about the christian canon um of, of the early the early church is essentially sort of the greatest hits of of of, of uh, all of the religions under the roman empire at the time and it was influenced by Judaism as well as by paganism, and you can you can you can you can see that influence if you look at, for example, the virgin birth of Jesus, which is that doesn't come from from the Jew, Jewish tradition; that comes from the pagan tradition. Oh yeah, there's there are plenty of examples of that, even in uh, Samaria, where there uh, are uh, documents on tablets about a great flood and somebody that was appointed to bring mankind out of that flood to appease the God. Uh, so there's um, stories of, um, you know, um, Easter, similar, which is, comes from the same root word. We get the God Esther uh, from the East. Uh, so this resurrection story uh, is about life and death, really, ultimately. That's what we have. And, you know, Christianity is no different. We all share common themes. Um so that's what I think that um, when we think about a Christian experience, for me personally, um, to try to force, you know, one size fits all takes away from that rich experience that I think God wants us to have, really, ultimately. So this whole idea of a war on Christmas, I think, doesn't really speak to, um, you know, being uh, what ultimately what I believe Christ means, you know, like when he talks about um, the way um, the way is to walk amidst um, the realness of what is, the richness of, of what life is, not this sort of idealistic, um, dogmatic, pinpoint example of like hit the dart. Everybody has to sort of hit the perfect mark of what they think, and that varies from pe person to person. So, Yeah, totally. And um, so, well, I mean, and, and going back to the example of my own childhood, you know, like, even though I grew up to be an atheist, um, I would not for in a million years, um, wish that I had not had the positive cultural experiences that I had as a child. Like I said, those, those, um, annual Christmas concerts that I put on with my friends from school and their parents and everything, it was one of the most beautiful um, and meaningful experiences of my childhood. And I have nothing but fond memories for all of it, despite resentment about the indoctrination part of it. So, you know, one thing you can point out to people is say, you know, if you, if you choose to send your kid to public school, either because you can't afford the alternative or just because you want them to have a public school experience for any number of reasons, um, one of the benefits of public school, as you said, Josh, is that it is actually good to socialize a child with a variety of different people so that they can grow up to be an adult who can function in a diverse society. 
Um, so, you know, for whatever reason you choose to send your kid to public school, then, you know, maybe get involved in your local church and, and, um, and put together your, your Christmas traditions for your child that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, though, you know, like going back again, because I often hear people talk about how America is a Christian nation and, you know, how Christmas is about all the things that we talk about, like Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. And, and then the Christmas tree and the lights and all of that, right, that comes with it. That's often what people think of when they think of Christmas, right? But um, even early on, uh, when you think about the nation, again, like I said, the founding fathers, many of them were deists. They were not Christians. And some of them were even atheists. And agnostic. So, this idea that the, all the founding fathers were simply Christian, and that we were trying to establish a Christian nation, I think is not—it's not based on historical fact, for one. Um, and secondly, even when we're talking about the Christmas tree, early on the Puritans were opposed to the Christmas tree, um, and the Christmas tree really wasn't a norm in American society until the mid 1800s. Um, the Puritans were very dominant in politics early on uh, is the new settlers, you know, and they opposed the Christmas tree, one of them being, um, one of the reasons being they felt that it was too pagan. Uh, you know, that was a form of worship as adultery to have, you know, a tree in the way of between you and God, right? Um, so, yeah, it took it took a while before, even in America, for some of the um, customs that we think or, or we surround ourselves uh, when we think about Christmas that came to about to become a no, more of a norm. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's part of the reason why Jehovah's Witnesses don't really celebrate Christmas, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so moving on from, from Rome into the dark ages, obviously you have this period where um, there was the burning of the library at Alexandria. And I think that this, what if there's a single um, event that kind of, um, can serve as a, a microcosm of the, the shift from the kind of proto-scientific and highly intellectual, um, not that it was a perfect society by any means, there were lots of problems. If you, if you weren't a free citizen in, 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 in Rome or Egypt or Greece at the time, you were, and it, your life was pretty awful. So I'm not, not saying it was perfect by any means. Mm-hmm. But you know, there, was, there, there was a period where, um, where it went from being a diverse society where Christianity was, was meant to be um, a unifying um, spiritual mess, um, uh, message, and then it kind of turned into this this dominant, um, this dominant uh, theocratic authoritarian approach that Christianity played during the, the Dark Ages in the West, and that was that was because of the this idea that proto scientific philosophy was a threat to um, through to the authoritarian dominance of Christianity, and a lot of a lot of a lot of modern Christians um, look back on that as if that was a mistake. Um, and because, you know, uh, until we moved on to uh, Protestantism and so forth and the kind of rediscovery of a personal understanding of the relationship with uh, God, um, that, that was a bit, a bit authoritarian and theocratic. Yeah. To me, that goes back to uh, me personally when I think about being a Christian. It is a personal walk between you and God, not between you and the state. And I think that's what Christ... We talk about the Sadducees and Pharisees. That's what he was trying to point out, is that they got in the way of that that walk, that personal walk. And so, when we think about the like the Protestant Reformations and all that, that's ultimately what we're trying to achieve. And literally, Americans came here for that reason. Is to many people think that 
Americans came here because they were trying to, um, you know, for religious freedom. But the reality is when we talk about religious freedom, uh, we're not talking about dogmatism. They actually was were uh, leaving Europe for the opposite of dogmatism. They were trying to run away from dogmatism. They wanted to be able to... Right, they were running away from the idea that the state would force you to decide... Exactly, what exactly. They acknowledge a certain religion. So when we talk about the war on Christmas, you know, what what is that really about? I mean, like when people are trying to put that out there in your mind and gaslight you with that, that you know, sort of phrase to scare you. Um, what I hear really is they're trying to... Um, get you to um, tell, have the state tell you exactly what Christianity means or what Christmas means, right, to you, and that there's a certain way you've got to follow. You know, it's, it's thought police. It's, it's, not, uh, it's completely contrary, really, ultimately, to um, what America is traditionally, you know, like where we were running away from religious dogmatism and states telling us exactly, you know, the way we're supposed to understand the Bible or, or Christ. Yeah, so and I, I think that that point that you're making is an important point. Well, um, but most definitely, I, I agree, Rio. If if your end goal is to put forth a sort of like a required obliga- obligatory um, Sharia law, you know, Christian Sharia law, where everybody has to be Christian or they're forced to be Christian, or the American Taliban, <laughs> right? In that sense, I mean, yeah, you most definitely. Um, I think that that part of America is definitely um, on shaky ground. And I personally would argue should be. I th- no, I it definitely would. should be. It definitely should be. And, th- and mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the distinction between legal and cultural comes in. Um, right. And so like legally um, Christianity never <laughs> was, was in power. It was really more of a, a more recent phenomenon, you know, with the realignment of the Republicans and, I mean, and I the, just, the Democrats. In the United States, I mean, in the United States. Right, exactly. Um, like the Pledge of Allegiance was a, a more recent phenomenon. It didn't originally have under God that was added after the fact, um, you know. Uh, That's also the case. For in the God, we real, trust right. wasn't originally on our money. That was added later. Right. Uh, that was a very mm-hmm. recent phenomenon. A lot of people don't understand these histories. So I think there is still a benefit to pointing out these facts, but I, I'm just saying that that facts alone aren't going to win that war. You've got, and, and there are some people who are just, they want an actual theocracy and there's no persuading those people. We just simply have to defeat them. But I think there's a lot of people we can de-radicalize by, by showing some, some sympathy for the difference between a culture war and, and, and the legal issue. Um, so yeah. yeah, moving on into Protestantism, they um, you know one thing that Protestants reacted against was this this idea that they needed to have the intermediary of of the church to um, to tell them what they're supposed to believe. Uh, so it was about making it more personal, and that's actually very American. It's a Amer- Americanism is is very much about individualism and a personal relationship. Yeah, and I would add. God, but- uh, I would add, Rio, even then it was uh, even the right to read the Bible. I mean, at that point, uh, only the, the priest, you know, the fathers, they were allowed to read the Bible, interpret the Bible. In itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and the, the tradition of the, the saints in Catholicism, Protestants, I think, rightly pointed out that that was clearly appropriation from, from paganism. A, a, a lot of pagan gods were literally turned into Catholic saint form. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. So now about Christmas itself, right? So you talked a little bit about the pagan origins of it and how it moved on to the, the modern era. Um, so where 
where are we left with the meaning of Christmas? It's obviously going to mean different things to different people, but um, I think uh, if we're thinking about those that may feel threatened uh, with this idea of the war on Christmas, what I hear, you know, like I earlier talked about how there are those, and you, you, you mentioned also how perhaps they can't be reached anyway, and, and, you know, that would love to turn the nation into Sharia law. But I think by and large, most people are not under that group, right? That when they think about the war on Christmas, how they may feel threatened with that. What they're really hearing, I think, often might be, um, you know, freedom of speech, uh, civil liberty, uh, that they're going to come after me. You know, they're hearing revelations, you know, how, you know, the mark of the beast and I'm going to be forced to, you know, like how the state's going to come after and shut down your ability to even worship in the first place. And you can be mocked, you can ostracize. Yeah, and by the way, there is actually historical precedent for that fear, you know, because actual far-left countries indeed did do that. The Soviet Union was an actual atheist state. And so actually, once again, here, this is a place where a little nuance um, can be much more effective than just gaslighting and shutting people down. I think you should say, absolutely, I agree with you. I would oppose an atheist state. As an atheist, even, I don't want the government to force everybody to think like me. I want freedom of religion. I want. Yeah, I'm really glad that you, you and, and said so that. The distinction is not, you know, a lot of a lot as as is often the case. Radicals see things in a binary way, where your only options are theocracy, a theocrat, you know, a theocratic state or an atheist state. And it's like, no, there is a middle ground, and that, thank goodness, is the world where we live. And reminding people that this alternative of secularism, and also, you know, a lot, a lot of these these people who are worried about the war on Christmas probably mistakenly believe that secularism is a synonym for an atheist state. They don't know that the real meaning of the word secular is that it's a country with freedom of religion. That's literally what it means. Um, yeah, so, I, I really want to ferret that out too, because yeah. you know, like, while on the one hand, uh, you know, I pointed out that you know some of the founding fathers were deist or even atheist agnostic. Much of our our tradition is built around Christianity, as you earlier pointed out. I mean, fundamentally, uh, some of the customs, the uh, norms, the values that we hold. Uh, there's no arguing that that is so much of what it means to be Amer- you know, an American. Uh, so, I think it it would be just extremely difficult to you know to pull that level, away. Yeah. So le- legally, right legally, level. even um, George Washington himself signed the treaty with Tripoli, which said we are not. I, I, Christian nation per se in the legal sense, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it, but we are um, culturally in many ways, and that is something that people can respect. And of course, culture changes, you know, and it, it can be scary to watch culture change. But people have the option of keeping their traditions alive in their own communities and their own families. And I think showing respect for that um, is going to be more effective than showing disdain for it and just and making people feel gaslit. Um, so yeah, yeah no, I, I think, think that, the, the mm-hmm. distinction, you know, reminding people that you too oppose an atheist state, um, and that you support freedom of right. religion is is really yeah. is really key. I think. Yeah, up to now, you know, like uh, I think a lot of our discussion has has you know pointed out how a secular society can really enrich and and, and provide um, a the best environment to ensure whatever you know your your. Um, thoughts about God and your relationship to the universe, so forth and so on, is viable, you know, and able to, to, to thrive, you know, is under a secular society. So it makes sense that you would team up with your fe- fellow atheist or your fellow agnostic and, you know, pray quietly that they find God. But um, 
otherwise support them in, in, in our joint calls of the secular state. Yeah, I agree. So in conclusion, I, I think we covered the, the, the subject of the war on Christmas and, and how true it is or isn't. But just uh, to wrap up and make things kind of like fun and cozy since it is the holidays, Josh, um, maybe it'd be fun to just say like, what, what's the, what's your personal meaning of Christmas? And it's like, yeah, to you, what it, does Christmas mean? Yeah. Christmas is the spirit of, of Christ himself um, in his message, you know, to forgive, to love, to, to care for those that don't have, you know, the gift giving to me is also about gratitude and, um, you know, forgiving and forgetting, you know, like the whole message of, you know, Christ's walk is a walk of uh, sacrificing even, you know, like maybe you're sacrificing your ego um, for this disagreement you have with someone else. Find common ground. Um, that to me really is the spirit of Christmas. And it's not about a tree. It's not about whether someone says happy holiday or Merry Christmas. It's about the essence of Christ's message. And, um, I, I just um, think that, um, you know, I, I don't personally see that uh, anything in society uh, t- currently um, that would uh, threaten me away from that personal walk. Um, you know, in a secular society, I want to point out very, you know, very sharply in a secular society. I mean, I feel enriched to have that liberty. And uh, as an atheist, I actually agree with that. I think that I think that Christmas is a religious holiday, um, and I love the religious aspects of it. Um, and whenever I a- attend a purely uh, secular celebration of Christmas, it's still fun, and it's still about family and community um, and generosity and all of those wonderful things. But it does seem to me like something's missing, and the real magic of those religious traditions, which even though I am no- I am not religious as an adult, is still part of of my cultural heritage um, and i feel mm-hmm. completely i don't feel like i'm appropriating anything when i celebrate that i think it's a beautiful thing and so you know once again if somebody's worried about the the, the war on christmas i found just reminding people that i love christmas and that i even love the religious part of it <laughs> you know can be surprised how far that could go and you're radicalizing somebody it works a lot better than just you know slapping them and telling them that they're stupid um, by the way i misspoke it wasn't george washington who signed the treaty with tripoli it was uh president adams but so the point stands. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to say in conclusion, Josh, before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's important to also bear in mind, you know, when we're watching whatever the news network happens to be, MSNBC, Fox News, uh, whatever it is, uh, that we are always mindful of um, what exactly are they trying to propagate, right? And gaslight us from or to... Um, um, you know, distract us from, you know, ultimately our, our real Christian, in my opinion, personally, the, the walk is about, you know, feeding the sick, the hungry, um, finding ways to make society better. I mean, that to me is the walk of Christ, you know, the way, the light, uh, not, uh, these cultural wars personally, I think that can be distractions, um, because Christ practiced Christianity, his followers practiced Christianity, in what was really a very dominantly uh, Roman Empire, pagan slash um, Judean Jewish culture. And even then, Christianity was able to thrive ultimately uh, in that environment. You know, like, I don't see personally, um, you know, like, again, everybody's different, but I, 
as a Christian, I don't see anything compared to what they experienced at that time in our current world. And so we just have to be mindful of um, when these people, what are they really Christians? Are they really uh, interested in Christianity and its true message? And are they instead trying to distract you from um, that walk? Yeah, no, I mean, my, my closing message would just be to, to, to say that um, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have a war on Christianity or a war on Christmas. Where we draw the line and where we will always draw the line and we will never back down on this is that anybody who wants to force their religious beliefs upon the rest of the country through the government, those people are anti-American theocrats. They're going against the Constitution itself, and we will oppose that not because we're atheists, but because we believe in freedom of religion. Amen. All right. Something's our gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Andrew Yeg is our taco. And moving, moving forward, forward is our gumbo. gumbo. That's right. That's right. This is Josh from New Progressive Voice. So thank you very much for listening in to Rio and our discussion about progressivism. So definitely go over to movingforwardpod.com to support the cause to consensus building. Building bridges is more vital than ever. So definitely check them out. <laughs>